This is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Wire, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. All right, decision makers will join us over the course of the next hour and a half. Jerry DePoto in 30 minutes at 8.30, Ron Francis at 9.30. Uh, Before we get to that here on Brock and Salk, three television-related stories I wanted to combine together and just sort of comment on all three. We'll start with this and uh, this from the Seattle Times yesterday. Larry Stone spoke with Mike Blowers, and I know that's been a, a really popular question. Where is Mike Blowers? And we did answer the question jerk last week. That was by far the most common question we got, although people, for whatever reason, thought we would be scared to answer it. I'm not scared. I just didn't know. Right. I mean, when Mike came back for what was it, just one game, texted him and said, hey, it's really great to have you back on the show and or back on the on the game and the broadcast. And he said, thanks. You know, I'm feeling a little bit better, hopefully feeling better, you know, more soon. And then, you know, he disappeared again. And I I don't know and and didn't know where he's been. So Larry spoke to him and uh, I'll read you just a little from home and get my Ebenezer's out here because I wrote I typed this too small. Uh, At first, it was a nagging case of bronchitis mixed with a sinus infection and the flu that kept Blowers, who's 58, out of commission for two weeks. Okay, understandable. And just when he was feeling better from that and ready to get back to work, Blowers suffered an accident, a fall, while running that resulted in a concussion and three stress fractures in his face. Blowers was dealing with some vertigo after the concussion and has been doing physical therapy to work through that. He told Stone, I just want people to know that I'm in good spirits and I'm doing fine and added that he expects to return in around a week and a half to two weeks. So that's the update, uh, courtesy of Larry Stone on Mike Blowers. Uh, obviously, you know, wishing Mike the best and hope that he heals fully and completely. Vertigo seems like a disaster. Uh, we had uh, a friend here at the station who had vertigo. I'm not sure whether he's talked about that publicly, so I'm not going to to mention it. But it, it sounded terrible. I mean, like woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't tell which direction was up and down. Vertigo sounds awful. And I know it's been sort of laughed at in TV shows and movies and stuff. And certainly the uh, the character in Arrested Development is is entertaining. But in real life, not funny, uh, like yeah. really, really scary and hard to deal with. And there's no real cure for it. And oh, by the way, you don't know when it's going to come and go. So I'm sure that's terrible to deal with. And uh, my heart goes out to Mike and to his family. Uh, I like Blowers a lot. I love listening to him on the game broadcast. I think he does a great job. I like his insight. I've definitely enjoyed Ryan and Angie and Dan Wilson. And I think they've done a great job of holding down the fort. And, you know, that's awesome. No disrespect to any of them. They've been great. I also really like Mike and I and I really like his sort of sensibility that he brings to a to a broadcast and sort of the way he handles things. So uh, I wish him the best. Hope he's able to come back. But for everybody who's asked, that is the update on Mike Blowers. All right. TV story number two. Shannon Sharp has reached an agreement to be bought out from FS1 and Fox Sports and is expected to leave undisputed. With Skip Bayless after the NBA Finals, this has been brewing, right? Oh yeah, he very Man. clearly was done with Skip Bayless. How many years has he been on? Because I thought I remember thinking when they paired up, I was five? Like, this isn't going to last. Three, five, <laughs> something like did. that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. 
But Skip eventually, I think, just drove him so crazy that he couldn't keep doing it. And, you know, it's funny because I had heard for years working in and around ESPN that Skip was a super nice guy who everybody liked. That obviously, you know, he's got this act on TV and it's working for him and he's sort of a, a troll and uh, you know, whatever word you want to use for, for what Skip does, fine. But that behind the scenes, he was supposedly a really nice guy and everybody really liked him. He was he was popular. I don't know what's happened since then, but I, I'm not getting that sense anymore. And it seems like and I'm sure it's hard. You get into a business like this. Skip was a writer and he was a good you know, sports columnist for a long time. And then you fall into this job, right, where he and Stephen A are arguing and that becomes kind of a, you know, a thing. Right. And you, you start to play this character. And then over time, you've got to keep one upping yourself to feel relevant. Right. We've talked about how that can be a challenge for the Chad Ochocinco's of the world and others. You got to keep outdoing yourself. And I think that can be hard. Yeah, because I used to watch First Take early on and it was tolerable. Right. And like, yeah, it just got. And then you get eventually to like, you know, DeMar Hamlin is lying on the ground and he's like being inappropriate in the comments. But you're just like, skip. The pre- and I think that was the ultimate fracture between these. I two. think it was right, and then I think there was some. If I'm not mistaken, there was some racial tension in there, and there's been some conversations about Skip and you know some of the things he said along those lines. Without litigating it here on this show, which I'm not qualified to do, I don't watch the show. I've barely seen it. I don't even know where FS1 is on my TV. Sorry, Brock, but I I, I will say that I, I either Skip's a bad guy or. He is has had difficulty maintaining going one step farther and one step farther and one step farther. I don't know which it is, and, and I'm not going to try to guess, but I'm I'm I'd be wary to go take that job. I have worked with people and work with him who are terrific off the air. Mm-hmm. They're on the air, very different person, and then over time, that mm-hmm. on air persona turns into their off the air persona. Mora. <laughs> You're talking about Mora texting me all the Maureen's time. About she just hates around the clock yeah. now. Or are you talking about Brock now that you've worked with him for the last few months? Is that which which one, Brock or more or Mora? Oh yeah, it couldn't be you, right? I don't want to name names. Me, dude, I'm the most like I am <laughs> on the air. Say, it starts with an M. I'm not a good enough actor to to do this on the air and then be somebody totally different off the air. This is just kind of who I am. I don't know. I'm not good enough at that. All I'm right. actually much nicer off the air. That's not true. I'm mean to you on the air. Oh, are you nice to me? When are you going to be nice to me off the air? When does that happen? You keep talking about how I told you that your the TikTok thing made you a better looking Jimmy Kimmel. That's stuff. true. That was nice, but it felt like that was an accident. It felt like you accidentally she, yeah, complimented me, and the then compliment. we're like, "Oh shoot, I didn't even mean pivot, to do that." Pivot, Turn it. pivot, pivot. Cupcakes on your birthday last year. I didn't bring them this year because you were dieting. That was nice of you. Thank you for that. You know what? That is actually the nicest thing you've done for me. I really appreciate that. She ordered banana pop. What? Who? uh, Who? Is there anybody you would like to see work with? uh, With Skip? I've heard some names out there. Mad Dog Russo. Chad Ochocinco. Yeah, like I'm not going to watch no matter who it is. I'm saying I don't love that just type of aggressive sports confrontation. That's not. That's not the way that I like to. It's too that. much for me. <laughs> like, I saw yeah. our friend Sean Salisbury throw his name out there. He was always good with the professor at doing that type of thing. Yeah, but it's been a while. That'd be a lot of aggro, right? I mean, yeah. like that would be super aggro. I mean, the nice thing about Shannon is that he's at least kind of funny. 
That's the thing know. is somebody needs to be able to laugh their way out of it. I don't know if anybody can do that with Skip anymore. All right, this last story deserves a lot more than one the one minute that I have left to talk about it here, but I, I'm at least going to throw it out there. And when Brock comes back next week, maybe he and I can can talk about it a little bit more. And I'd actually like to find out some more and do story, some more digging. Yeah. It's such a potentially giant story that I don't feel fully qualified to talk about it yet. But let me do some digging and talking to some people and get back to you on it. And that is this whole streaming future of RSNs. Those are the regional sports network in baseball. I don't know if you noticed it yesterday, um, but with everything going on, uh, the uh, the t- the uh, station that um, carries Padres games in San Diego, so it's Diamond is what it's called, and it's Bally Sports there locally, uh, stopped paying. They stopped, stopped making payments. Like, yeah, we're not going to pay anymore. And so their date to continue was yesterday. Yesterday was the first game that was not on Bally Sports in San Diego. And it's super complicated about what happens next because the league is helping out the Padres and any other team where this happens, they're going to give them a chunk of revenue that they are counting on under the Valley sports umbrella. That's right. So it gets super, super complicated, but this is a really good piece uh, more that you had sent me here about, about what happens next. And you are starting to see what it really looks like to have haves and have nots in baseball where the Red Sox and Yankees and Mets and Phillies and maybe a couple of Dodgers, a couple other teams are bringing in significant chunks of money with their RSNs, with Nesson, with Yes Network, et cetera. Those stations are owned and major, major, major league profitable. The others, it's a mixed bag. And some of them are not nearly as profitable as it sounds. And as fewer and fewer people use cable as their major carriage, all of the sudden, right, the, 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 the revenue model has changed considerably. And, you know, when we talk about haves and have nots in baseball, part of it is because of that. But part of it is just fan interest. And there's a quote here from one of those large market teams uh, that says, without us, there's nobody buying the package. So essentially wondering, what if Major League Baseball put everything in one streaming package that you had to buy? And that was just the way you started watching baseball. Well, if you're the Yankees, Red Sox, Mets, Cubs, Dodgers. No, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. They've got the leverage because they've got the fan bases to pull it off. And maybe there's a couple other teams that belong in there. Maybe the Braves still have enough national exposure. Maybe the Phillies have enough passion. I don't know. But for the other teams, it's not big market arrogance. It's just like we have fan bases that are desperate to watch our product. You don't. Your fan base isn't going to spend all this money for this carriage. So I, I don't know where that goes and what it means for other teams. I don't know what it means for the Mariners specifically, but I will uh, try to find out for you guys because I think this is a sleeping giant of a story, partially because of how it affects us as fans, as viewers, but partially because of how it affects the economics of the game in general and what happens with competitive balance in Major League Baseball, which has been better recently. I don't know the answers to it yet, so I'm not going to try to pretend that I do, and I don't even want to speculate because I really don't know. But I do have some people I can talk to, and I, I wasn't able to get it done in order to talk about it today. Yeah, but let's kind of plan to do it next week, and I'll see what I can find out for you guys. We'll give you everything you need to know, and then Jerry Depoto, and then Ron Francis, all coming up over the rest of the show. Don't go anywhere. There's going to be a great next couple hours here on Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. 
first. Had a great time at the ballpark last night. I know everybody was ready to write off the Mariners after the two straight blowout losses, but guess what? They came right back on a walk-off win. Now the pitch. Swing, line drive, right field. This should do it. Caballero's coming to third base, and he can crawl home. This is all the way up to the wall, and Cal Raleigh wins it in the 10th inning for the Mariners. One to nothing. The Mariners take down the Yankees tonight in Seattle. Yeah, what a great, great moment. Pitching, pitching, pitching. Yeah, pitching was certainly it. What an outing. You can't throw the ball much better than what George Kirby did tonight. And really, um, outside the little hiccup, uh, his last time out uh, against the Pirates, it has been some kind of season so far. And he dialed it up tonight. I think we talked about after his last outing. Uh, He got hit around like he's never been hit around. And the question got thrown out, how would he respond? And felt very confident he would respond exactly the way he did tonight. So, um Tip my hat. That's not easy to do. And we've gotten, obviously, banged around here the last two nights. And for him to go out there and just totally take control of the game, um, pretty special. Yeah, it was. And certainly we're going to have to now ask the same questions about Logan Gilbert and especially Bryce Miller, who got hit around for the first time in his career. But Kirby was ridiculous last night. I was there. It was electric. The two-seamer, the four-seamer, even the breaking stuff when he needed it. He took a great fastball-hitting team and dominated them with his fastball. That shows just how unbelievable that pitch really is pretty darn cool to watch and you know what credit to Cal and to the offense for getting it done late specifically they needed a big hit with somebody on base they had a couple of opportunities early in the game couldn't get it done and it just seems like their catcher has a knack for for making it happen even though he doesn't have a ton of major league experience yet it seems like Cal's been around forever but he really hasn't in those moments the ability to slow it down and say okay I've got to slow it down there's a good chance I'm going to get another change up that's exactly what he got you know what I mean? And a credit to him and shows you how mature he is as a player in those moments. You understand where you're at, what's probably going to happen, and that's the, the catcher in him comes out. Slow it down, try to get the ball up. You're probably going to get another changeup. And if you don't, maybe you foul off the fastball. If you got another changeup, put a great swing on it. He has come up big plenty of times in those moments. Yeah, really cool and uh, nice to see them finish off that homestand. Seven and three. They take off for a huge road trip now. Off today, but then Texas, Anaheim, San Diego, Luis Castillo will get it started tomorrow night. Here's the second thing you need to know. A big congratulations to a guy who's going to join us a little over an hour from now. Ron Francis will be around for three more years as the GM of the Kraken. They agree to an extension yesterday. Todd Lywicki making the announcement. He's built a franchise here that looks like Ron Francis. It's competitive. It's balanced. It has grit. It has determination. So today we proudly announce... This gentleman is with us at least through the 26, 27 year. And for me, it is a dream come true. Well, certainly uh, he deserves it right now. I mean, what they've done over the last year, basically, is just incredible. Completely remade this roster. Burakovsky, Bjorkstrand, Jones, Schultz, adding Sprong and Tolvanen and Beneers and McCann. Extension for McCann. Done a pretty darn good job and had this team, you know, into the second round of the playoffs and nearly advancing past that uh, in just its second season. So looking forward to the future with Ron Francis, but some real questions about the future now. How do you go from good to great? What do you do in this offseason to try to make your team even better? We'll ask him those questions coming up at 930. Here's the third thing you need to know. Seahawks practicing today, which should be uh, good. I'm excited to see what that team looks like, who's there, and what they're working on. Uh, But it's another complete squad kind of a deal. UW's TV schedule, at least the first three games are out. Uh, Let's see, Boise State on ABC, Tulsa on Pac-12 Network, 
And then Michigan State exclusively on Peacock. I heard Bob very upset about this. And Wyman, Bob's upset because he has to figure out how to download it and find it. Dave's upset for good reason that it means you can't flip through the channels while you're watching it because that's just not the way it works with apps. Absolutely right. And uh, I don't have Peacock at the moment, and I'm not sure I'm going to bother on this. In any event, UW softball is going to be into the Women's College World Series against Utah tonight, 6.30 on ESPN. Congrats to Madison Husky. They are right fielder. Uh, she just won the gold glove. That is everything you need to know. Quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. Whew. A lot going on. Yeah, this it's a fun I, night last night. It really was a good game. Like it was, I know that people are frustrated with the Mariner offense for good reason, and they only scored one run in the tenth inning. Sure. I'm not here to tell you that they had a good offensive night. They did not, and it's not like the guy they were facing was Cy Young. He had a five and a half ERA coming in, and that stinks. I saw a lot of that last night, but he had a pretty good game. He may have, but he had a five and a half ERA and a WHIP of like one point six, and he just bl- blew a bye yesterday, which was a challenge. But it was a good night at the ballpark. It was a fun night. Crowd was into it, especially late. You got another one of those kind of moments where they seem to help the crowd or help the players. They help Topa out of the uh, his part of the tent. That was a shame, man. I mean, he comes in and he gives up an error. And the next thing you know, you got first and third, right? And he pitched his way out of it. He got a pop-up, walked the guy, and then ended up getting uh, you know the little ground ball and a strikeout. That was awesome. Suarez a good play. play. Really nice play. And a smart play by Cal not to throw down a first base and risk it, even though you know, there was no chance he was going to get the guy. Sometimes you do that. The ball ends up in right field. They just they played it really well after the J.P. error, which I'm sure he felt bad about. And he more than made up for it with a sparkling catch uh, to get Kirby out of there. I'm sure the, you what, the saw since you were at the ballpark yesterday. Yeah. Um, uh, All-Star voting is officially open. As oh, is it open? It goes through the 22nd. All right. Vote five times a day. Mariners.com slash vote. All right. And if uh, you make sure you select the Mariners as your team, mm-hmm. you can be entered to win the sweepstakes to get pictures with the All-Star guys oh, wow. and a whole Very bunch exciting. of other stuff. Too. Well, tell you what, let's ask Jerry DePoto about that. How many All-Stars does he think his team deserves? We'll talk to him about that and a whole lot more coming up next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Pretty cool having uh, some of the decision makers in town on the show today. We'll start with Jerry DePoto in just a couple minutes. And then uh, at 9.30, about an hour from now, we will talk to Ron Francis who's, of course, the GM of the Kraken. Heck, Jerry probably very excited about Ron Francis getting his extension done yesterday since Jerry's just a huge hockey fan and I know has uh, spent a lot of time following and paying attention to what the Kraken are doing. And fun to do this coming off of a 7-3 and homestand and off of a nice Mariner walk-off win last night. After no walk-offs for the first, what, almost two months? They've got two all of a sudden in less than a week. So let's talk to Jerry right now. The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. Jerry, we're a third of the way through. You're coming off of a walk-off win last night. What do you make of your team? Uh, you know, a really nice homestand, 7-3, and three, and really the month of May, like we talked about last week. We, we made a ton of progress, and we just have to keep beating this drum and, and moving in the right direction. The pitching has been... Uh, it, a little bit uh, unexpected. We, we hit some some potholes this uh, this homestand, but on the season to date, again, as good as you could expect, best in the league. And I do feel like 
despite the constant starts and stops, the offense has made progress and, and the bullpen secures them. So now two thirds of our team is operating at full function. And, and the, the third element is, is kicking into gear a little bit. When you say three thirds, that's what pitching defense and, and offense. Is that how you look at it? Yes. And I, and, and I do think the offense is, you know, we're, we're seeing progress, especially our younger players, you know, that, that we expected to be the drivers of the club. I think, you know, Julio and Jared and, and Cal Raleigh, those guys have, have carried their water. JP and Ty France are, are roughly JP and Ty France. We, we are not as long in the lineup as we would like to be. And, and we'd like to get the, the contributions from the back end that we, that we had anticipated throughout and feel like that will come, uh, you know, it's, and, and if it doesn't, we'll find a way to solve it. Yeah. So, so let's talk through a few of those guys and, and maybe starting with Julio because his last, what is it? 10 or 11 games now has really just been incredible. Another multi-hit game last night. Any idea what helped it click for Julio? Uh, a lot of work in the cage, you know, Julio spent a lot of time in this homestand with his hitting coach and, and, you know, really just getting back to a good body position, a posture in the box. And we've talked about it periodically here on Thursdays and, and certainly with Julio uh, as the season has progressed, you, you get in bad habits as the season goes along. And, you know, part of being, uh, you know, being coached or being a coach is is leaning into those bad habits and trying to, to unplug them and get back to the things that you do well. And, you know, it, during the course of a 162-game baseball season, you're not recreating what players do. You're just trying to get them, you know, as close to their their norms as you possibly can over time. And, you know, and don't let it erode. And, and I think it did erode on Julio in the middle of April there and and just started to, to eat away at him. Now he's back to doing the things he does and, and comfortably looks like himself in the batter's box. When you say working with his hitting coach, is that a personal hitting coach? Is that the Mariners hitting coach? Is it, what, what does that look like? So all of them, actually. There's it, it, Each of our players, and I want to, well, almost all of our players has their own hitting coach. <laughs> and you know, in, in Julio's case, Julio does have his own hitting coach who did spend time here at this homestand and, and uh, including time with, with Jared DeHart and Tony Arnrich. We, as a practice, lean into uh, our, our players, individual coaches. And uh, we tend to, uh, I, philosophically, we believe that the best thing we can do for our players is find a way to work together with their, you know, their crew. Because if if we try to alienate a player or we we say this isn't how we operate, we have coaches, you know, we have final say, it just doesn't work that way. You know, that's not where players are. And you have to meet players where they're at. So he has, you know, Julio has a hitting coach and he came in. He does a wonderful job. We have a great relationship with him. He works very well with, with Jared DeHart. And, you know, we always get the, the, the message before he's coming in. And, and I think the results this time through speak for themselves. He, he looks so much more comfortable. And, and just because I think this is, you know, something that not everybody fully grasps about today's, today's game, how common is that for it to work that way? Around the game, not just with the Mariners, but around the game. More common than you might think, but uh, I would say more common in the last four or five years than ever before. And, you know, there might be teams that have a stance that, uh, you know, that's fine, but not on our space. We, we, we don't do that. We embrace it. And it's something we, we talked about 
years ago when we first got here, we have to find a way to lean into the players, systems and programs and people and, and make it one program so that we're not constantly working in a juxtaposition with one another. There's find a way to create stability in that player's life rather than creating, you know, I guess, adversity. And that's what we try to do. Is that true with pitchers also, or are they, are there, is that not sort of the same deal with their personal coaches? No, the the pitchers do have personal coaches. They tend to work with their personal coaches almost exclusively in off season programs. Uh, Their, their programs are more built up. And during the season, you don't get a lot of independent, you know, visits. And, and I think that's largely because the the, the pitching, uh, especially the, the starters, there's so much work time in between that the, the pitching, our pitching coaches, our pitchers are constantly in tune with where their body's at. The, you know, with the hitters, it's an everyday thing. And and you sometimes can't see the the little, you know, difference that that creates a slump that starts a downward trend and you know and and sometimes with a hitter you need to tap in it's always that extra cage work and some thing things that fans just don't see even if you're prone to watching batting practice it's it's the work that's happening in the cages inside the clubhouse and you know that's where you know the the independent hitting coach or our guys really start to grind and make a difference and oftentimes you know it's all relational we have we'll have uh, coaches in our minor league system, a hitting coordinator, a hitting coach at a different level who has a good relationship with a player. And we have historically, when we've gone into those slumps or downward trends, we'll just call that coach back to Seattle and have them come back because it's all about the voice. It's, it's who can, can resonate with that hitter at that time. So the other sort of turnaround we saw, as you mentioned, Jerry, was was, you know, three starts that did not look like the starts we've seen from your pitchers all year long. We've now seen one of those guys bounce back, obviously, with with quite quite a bit of gusto. George Kirby last night. What goes into that? I mean, we we know he's competitive. We know that uh, certainly he was facing his childhood, you know, team with all everybody watching and everything else. But what did you see different from George Kirby last night? Uh, I thought George had, and George always pitches. I, I think many would be taken aback if they realized how competitive George was out there because he he's such a nice guy. That's <laughs> what he presents. But he's not a nice guy when he's pitching, and you know, and he wasn't nice last night. And it's a he he got after it all week long. There was an edge to him. I, I think you know, as you said, he was taken aback by the fact that that he got hit around a little bit against the Pirates, and and that's not normal for George, uh, and not just normal for George in this great run that he's been on, but you know, in his baseball life, it just doesn't happen to him very often. So I think he took it personally and he went out there last night. I thought that's the best command that he's ever had. And this is one of the elite command pitchers that you'll ever see. So to say that is, is pretty extraordinary, but I thought he was terrific. We have to get a shove report on last night. I got to imagine it was pretty good. Uh, 97. It was, it was very high. Which 97. Get 100. What was, so he was 97. It was Castillo last year that hit 100 in the playoffs. Is that right? Yeah, and we've had we've had a, a couple more hundred this year, including George. But uh, you know, it's I think we've had four hundred one hundred since huh. the this since we started using these shows tours years ago, and and uh, uh, ninety seven is a big number. 
I mean, it sure seemed that way. I was there last night, and I guess other than the ball that JP caught, which was scalded, I mean, it just seemed like he was in complete control. So now, you know, we've seen him bounce back. I don't worry as much about Logan. We've seen him, you know, have bad outings and jump back out before. But what is what what does the process look like with a Bryce Miller who really gets hit around for the first time in his career? Yeah, I thought for Bryce it was very different. You know, for for Logan and George, I, I, good offensive clubs put good swings on him, drove him into the the strike zone, and 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 gave him a difficult time. And like you said, they've managed that before. You know, while this hasn't happened often to George or to Logan, frankly, they they've shown that they can bounce back from these things. In Bryce's case, I think he just looked a little tired. You know, the first inning of that game, this was, you know, this was the first time in Bryce's professional career that he's thrown three consecutive starts on five days rest. And I think the the idea that he goes out there in the first inning, he's buzzing 95, 96, he gets through it pretty simply, pops up Aaron Judge, and it looks like a normal start. You know, the nuance here is that by the time he went out for the second inning, his velocity had dropped two or three miles an hour and his command left him you know he he wasn't he wasn't as easy in hitting his locations he didn't walk anybody but he wasn't hitting his locations his secondary stuff wasn't as crisp and I just think you saw the fatigue of multiple consecutive five-day starts for the first time and you know we've talked about this on these airways before this is these are lessons that, that young pitchers young players are learning about long seasons and the only way you learn them is to live through them and uh and we I think we behaved in the right way. We we tried to get him out there uh, for as long as, as he could sustain it in that game and then take advantage of these off days that are coming up. So will you do anything beyond just give him the extra day off that he would get for the off day? Or is it just, you know, business as usual, but he gets an extra day of rest this time? That, you know, it's, it's giving the extra day of rest. It's the benefit this time of two off days in close proximity. Mm. So you know, he'll have an off day leading into this start, and then he'll get an off day buffer. So this next time through, it's two six-day, uh, uh, I guess, six-day starts. And, and uh, you know, that should do do the trick. I, again, Bryce is fresh-armed. He's athletic. I, I don't think this was, uh, you know, a, 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 some, a signal of, of something to come. I think it was just a, a one-day struggle where I think you saw some fatigue. And, frankly, that's what I think we watched for the first couple of games against the Yankees. You know, we're playing our, our 11th, 12th, 13th games in a row. And, and uh, it's, it, it's tougher than you think. I know it's, it's, it's not just a reality TV show. The guys do get tired. And, and uh, I think we played a little bit tired the last couple of days. And it's good that we have these days off. So you're a third of the way through the season, as we mentioned, this sort of where the uh, evaluation phase starts to turn into the action phase or the tinkering phase. What are the next steps for you and Justin? Uh, you're picking up the phone, getting in touch with the other 29 clubs. You know, we're in June now. This is this is the month where we start making our blanket phone calls as to, you know, what teams are planning headed into the trade deadline. Uh, and this is, it's probably going to be a pretty busy three weeks in that regard because once teams start their their draft meetings which will probably happen for most clubs about the third week of june uh once the draft meetings start those calls will slow for a little bit so the next three weeks a big check-in phase we'll find out who's willing to do what uh and you generally share with the other clubs what it is you're looking to do and and some of the issues you may have uh somebody is inevitably going to ask you what your surplus is and 
29 clubs will answer. I'm not sure we have surplus, but this is what we need. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we do have an idea. And, you know, as we talked about through the off season, we will go into the trade deadline uh, part of this season, looking for a bat wherever that bat might fit. And it's uh, positionally is you can't really focus on positions. And especially in July, that's very difficult to do. You don't know uh, who's going to be available or what. So, would like to, to create uh, length in our lineup. I think our pitching staff, again, has been incredible. And, you know, fingers crossed, health will, will be as, as much our friend as it has been in years past, and, and we'll continue to do the things we're doing. But for us, it's, it's all about offense. And we're going to get some help back internally here with, uh, with Andres Munoz and Dylan Moore, and hopefully that helps. But it, it'll be a fun month for us as we – hopefully continue to play well and, and find the ways to get better moving forward. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is, is what can this team do in the next couple of weeks or however long it is before, you know, you make a decision on that to affect your decision-making if they play better, do you go bigger? I mean, does that, does that change the way you might act at the, at or before the deadline? No, I think you see it, you know, with Luis Castillo, and I'm not sure you can go bigger than, than the rock at the deadline. And we did that a year ago. And I think that is more representative of our mindset is that when we go big, we go big for players that we feel like are going to be here for a, a sustained period of time. And in, in Luis's case, we talked about this minimally, we were getting the 2022 season and 2023 and, and we, we thought we had the chance to keep them here. And and that wound up being the case. We'll again, focus on players like that in the, the available veteran crew. We're, we won't, I, I guess we won't turn our eyes from, you know, the, the expiring contracts, potential free agents. We're just unlikely to view that as the big get pouring it out for, for a short-term rental player. It doesn't make sense for us just in, in terms of, how we build our roster or philosophically. So think more like if it's big, it's going to be a player that's sustainable. If not, we'll try to do those, you know, those small, I guess, under the hood type trades that are, that wind up being a lot better than you think Mm -hmm. and, and adding, but anything is open to us right now simply because we know what we want to do to get better. We just have to find the right dance partner to do it. Do you think, and I know it's early, but you know, we sort of, I think have a sense of who the veteran bats who only have, you know, a a half year left of club control are. Do you have a sense as to whether or not there will be those other sort of Luis Castillo equivalents in the, in the market this year? There always are, you know, it's a, they're, the, the rental bats, you know, the guys who are, are pending free agents, and those are fairly easy to see. There'll be a list of them that come out on everybody's rankings, you know, between now and, and July from anywhere from MLB Network, the ESPN, and the like. Uh, we tend to focus on and the players on that list that, that have a little bit more control. We also have a fair bit of conversation with clubs about players that you might not think are as available as, as clubs are willing to make them for the right returns. And those are the trades that we generally spend more of our time on. And sometimes they come to fruition and sometimes they don't. But, you know, we tend to spend a little bit more of our time focusing on what this does for the Mariners in 2023 and moving forward because, you know, what, what we are attempting to build. And I, and I think the foundation we've laid is suggestive of is that we want 
this to be a, the long game. We want to win year in and year out, and, and we feel like we're on the right path to do that. You mentioned uh, a couple of the guys that you should get back, and and let's just sort of do our uh, weekly update phase of this with uh, both Andres Munoz and Dylan Moore, and then I'll ask you about Burrow as well because I just keep following that story to see what's going on there. Yeah, well, I mean, Mooney and, and Dylan should be back, you know, fingers crossed, no no further delays, should be back when we get to San Diego. So uh, anticipate seeing them in San Diego on Tuesday. And, you know, if that, uh, if that holds, that'll be a nice add for us. Uh, obviously, they're, they're good players that make our team considerably better. And, and it'd be hard to imagine our bullpen getting a lot better than it's been. But when you drop an Andres Munoz on it, it does. It gets a lot better. And, you know, that's a big boost. Uh, there's as far as, as Perlander goes, the, you know, the bullpen experiment is, is proving to be uh, worth the, 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 the squeeze, I suppose. He's, his, his last outing was a little bit rocky. He walked a few and gave up uh, what I think are his first runs as a reliever, but the, the outing before his fastball averaged, I think 100.2, which is, what we were anticipating, you know, he's putting him in the bullpen. You were going to get a much bigger version of his fastball. His slider is always a, a difficult pitch to handle or hit. We, we have to help him, you know, continue to refine his command. And, you know, it's, he just needs to be in the area. And when he's in the area, he's, he's tough to touch. There's another couple of guys that are throwing the ball incredibly well in, in the Arkansas bullpen. And, you know, Isaiah Campbell, who's on the 40 man and his mid nineties with a slider and maybe the, the new pop-up uh, prospect du jour in our system is Ty Adcock, who was actually the right fielder on, on George Kirby's college team and an eighth-round pick for us uh, a couple of years back, has had a lot of injury, and this is the first year he's healthy. He's older for his level uh, as having been a senior sign, but you know he's, his average fastball is 97-98 right now with a ferocious breaking ball, and he's lighting it up in double A. And he could be a guy that lands on our radar pretty quickly as well. You guys just have a, a – I mean, I don't think it's too much to wonder when these teams call you and say, hey, where's your surplus, what your answer is. I mean, it, it just seems like there is just arm after arm after arm and all at double A or above right now. Yeah, it's, it's such an exciting group of, of pitchers. And, and I know our, our pitching people, when they come to, to work every day, there's, they find ways it, because the, the Ty Adcocks and the Prelander Baroas, you know, with, they've, in Ty's case, he's always been a Mariner. Prelander obviously has, has played for other teams in his prospect years. But uh, when these, when these guys come to the Mariners, there's an excitement about working with our pitching programs. And, and I know our guys feel that confidence when they come to the ballpark every day. And, and uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun to watch the way it evolves and, and to look at a pitcher around the league and say, man, what could we do with that? <laughs> that's a, that's a fun you know, a way to watch a, a ball game at any level. How many all-stars should your team have? Uh, boy, right. Tough question. Uh, hopefully over the next month, it's, it's more than that. It might look like today. It'd be hard to envision an all-star game without multiple of our pitchers in it. Uh, you know, I don't know with the exception of, of, you know, Kelnick, Julio, uh, Cal Raleigh, I think, are all candidates to make the all-star team. Uh, I think J.P. Crawford has played incredibly well, although that's going to be a, a position of a little more, uh, I guess, there'll be some some competition there, to be sure. But Luis
Luis Castillo, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert. I guess you could argue Bryce Miller, although he might not have the bulk to, to add up when it's all said and done. Paul Seawald. It's it's a you could you could make an argument for half a dozen of our pitchers, you know, being on the the All Star team, and and I suspect that multiple of them ultimately will when it's said and done. Going to talk uh, in less than an hour now, 9.30 this morning, Jerry, talking to uh, Ron Francis, who just got his extension done or at least announced yesterday. What would you ask Ron Francis today? There's, I don't know if I'd ask him anything, but really just praise him for the discipline that he's shown in, in building the roster. I think it's, it, it, it seems to line up with his personality and uh, it, what they've done in such a short time to build a foundation for success and, and not to chase the, the moment when it, when it flew by. There's, you make one bad decision at, at a trade deadline. You make one bad decision at, when you think you're closer than you are, and you do so much damage to the next multiple seasons. And now I admire the fact that while playing so well, they showed some discipline. And, and you know, I, I guess I'd ask them, how good are the young guys that they have been piling up with these draft picks that they've accumulated in the first couple of years? Because, you know, to, to the naked eye, it looks like they are set up for an extremely long run of, of good hockey. Well, it seems like the Mariners have done somewhat of the same thing. A lot of good young players, and, you know, maybe it's this year, maybe it's next year, maybe it's the year after, but uh, the sustainability of this looks pretty on point. Jerry, uh, thank you, as always. We'll do it again next week. All right, Mike. Appreciate it. There you go. There's Jerry DePoto, Mariners president of baseball operations, who joins us every week at uh, at this time. And, you know, it's interesting. He kind of brings up what, you know, sometimes the road not traveled is the disaster, and I was just I was reading a tweet today. Trey Turner consensus other than Aaron, other than Aaron Judge, the next best player available this year in free agency, got a gigantic contract's going to take him into his 40s. And he is 150th in baseball out of 163 qualifying players in OPS. 150th out of 163. And somehow he's even worse when it comes to on base percentage. 151st. On a qualifying players. I don't know if that's going to last forever, but it really is remarkable when you start to talk through, you know, the road not traveled. And, you know, we were talking about Theo Epstein recently and, and more, I'm sure knows this as well. It's funny. Some of the best things that ever happened to Theo Epstein were moves he tried to make that were blocked for whatever reason. He tried to trade for Alex Rodriguez. It didn't work. And he ended up winning the World Series two years later. He tried to bring in Jeff Kent. It didn't work. He got Bill Miller. It ended up helping him win the World Series. He broke a chair. He was so upset that he lost out on Jose Contreras. Contreras, while he wasn't a formal bust, never really did what he was supposed to do in New York. And it worked out better for Theo, who won the World Series a few years later in 2007. It's just amazing how sometimes the road not traveled ends up being the best path in baseball. And I think that's what you hear out of Jerry DePoto there. There's a whole lot of other stuff I want to get back to specifically about this trade deadline and what you hear from Jerry there. We'll dig into it together next before Ron Francis in about a half hour. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710 and the Seattle Sports app.